the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some time ago, there was a book written called The 100, and the author of it was an astrophysicist by the name of Michael Hart. In it, Michael tried to rank the top 100 most influential people in all of human history. It's a pretty bold task when you think about it for everyone that has ever walked on the face of the earth to rank them based on their influence, even as brilliant as an astrophysicist may be. That's a pretty daunting task. And it included names that you might recognize. Um, uh, Louis Pasteur, for instance, the, the father of modern medicine who called to the attention of the medical community those little microscopic things called germs that carry disease. Sigmund Freud was on there. Whether we agree with psychoanalysis or not, he certainly added to our vocabulary words like ego and death wish and Oedipus complex, among so many other ways that we try to understand what goes on in the human mind. And Jesus, of course, was on that list. In fact, Hart, I had to write down his quote, interestingly noted that he was the most influential person on religion in human history, which is true. And he was quoted in his book as saying that Jesus had an extraordinarily impressive personality. That's a nice thing to say. Ultimately, Hart placed him as number three on his list, right behind Isaac Newton, who in fact, was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. But what heart gets at is something that every heart must respond to. Where will we, for lack of a better way of putting it, rank Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Everyone who walks the face of the earth, me and you, and those to come until Jesus returns, have to wrestle with that question. What of Jesus? And how we answer that question is really just the starting place. And so I'd like for us to not just think about our response, although I'd like for you to reflect on that. Um, where does Jesus fall in your ranking? Is he above yourself, above those nearest you? Is he at the top, the top three, top ten? However we place him in our minds and our response can't just be a reaction, but it actually must then be embraced more fully. And that's what I'd like for us to spend a bit more time dwelling on this morning, because that question, who do you say that I am, um, interestingly, on this day, as the Lord in only his wisdom and timing could know, I don't pick your readings on Sundays, right? They, they fall in a three-year cycle. And what better day to have that question pop up than the day that G uh, Jessica is baptized today? For us to reflect on. So we thank you for calling that forward to our attention today. And I'd ask you guys to look with me in your Bible, if you've got it, back at Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screens uh, as we stop along the way and reflect on this question together. Matthew opens by telling us the place where this question originates. And if we know one thing of Jesus, everything Jesus said and did was intentional. And Matthew captures this place for a particular reason for us. It's, its location, for those who might want a geographical pinpoint there, is in the very northern part of Israel. And it's a place that has always been associated with power. In the Old Testament, it was associated with worship of Baal, 
Um, as you may recall, that was one of the gods that was driven out from among Israel's presence as they were given uh, a place for themselves in the nation that would follow. Fast forward a bit. Uh, the Greeks used that particular region for the worship of their god, Pan. And most recently, as the name would suggest, it was a place of worship, uh, cult worship for the emperor, uh, Caesar Augustus, and with a little tip of the hat to Philip the Tetrarch, who reigned in the region, which is the name which it bears. So with that backdrop, with all of the influences of power really down throughout history, Jesus opens with the first question, who uh, do people say that I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is, as the text puts it before us? They respond um, with different prophets. Prophets, of course, are the mouthpieces of God. Often, this is the way they had seen Jesus show up, the, the masses, that is. They had seen Jesus show up to comfort the afflicted, um, to point to the injustice both of the world around, the religious leaders, and those rulers in power. He promised that God would set things right. And in many ways, the miracles he performed, some likened to Elijah, who might have some um, uh, influence as he brings uh, God's message to his people. That's what the people said. So Jesus then, of course, dives in deeper and says, but who do you say that I am? And we, of course, see Peter's response, to which we'll turn in just a moment, um, which Jesus seems to have known in calling that question out from among the disciples that they perhaps recognized that Jesus was more than just a mouthpiece, but was actually the Messiah. We'll turn to Peter's response in just a moment. But um, for our sake, perhaps stating the obvious here in a first lesson to reflect on, is that we all must respond to that question. We must respond what to do with Jesus, where does Jesus land in our lives, how do we square up against Jesus? And our response to that has to be more than just he is an intellectual exercise to fill that in. In fact, our response has to be borne out not just with our lips, but in our lives. And that's the call of every Christian. Of course, the response initially, as with Jessica and those who come to faith in Christ Jesus, begins with that recognition. But then it's every day thereafter that that response takes shape around the way we lead our lives. And I'd uh, like to note, of course, that that is not something that is just blind obedience. It's not just out of um, uh, some sort of a mechanistic way that we must do something. In fact, um, there's some wonderful work by some Christian neuroscientists as of late um, that have been studying all sorts of aspects of the brain, and they noted that um, joy is really our visceral response to God. It's relational. It's not just out of, well, I, I have to recognize that weighing all of the merits of who Jesus is and the weight of the church and all these things, and he must be the son of God, so I'll respond accordingly. But rather, it comes from our response to a God who steps into creation for us, lays down his life for us, and paves the way for relationship, both with us and all humanity. And this makes sense if we can kind of ground it in ways that we think of. If you think about the relationships in your lives, 
the ways that you show up, the ways that you interact with them are not, I would hope, out of mere duty and obligation. Think about your uh, siblings, uh, your family, your spouse, your friends. When we interact with them, we don't think, or thinking in my example of, of my girls, I don't think, gee, I've got to carve out time to go spend with them. In fact, just last week on Friday, um, I had spent some time with one and, and tried to find a way to carve out a chunk of time because I wanted to, to go get lunch for her and, and join her at lunch uh, at, at her school. Um, it, it's something I wanted to do. Um, in many ways, we think about how we show up with others in our own life as well, relationally, those nearest us, right? We don't think, gee, I've got to help them out. Um, in many ways, uh, thinking back to my own sake with my girls, um, I don't think, gee, you know, I've got to get them certain things. In fact, as a girl dad, which I am, it's usually um, a, a little worse than that. I have to be reminded I've got to rein it in because they, they have a pretty good pull on me most days. And we think about that in the ways that we interact. I, I, I don't think about, gee, I should really help them out or I should really get involved in their world. Uh, more often the case now, they're going, but Dad, I, I can do that. I'm going, oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you, you, you do that. Um, I'm, I, I just want to be a part of everything that's going on in their life. That's the kind of thing we're talking about in our response, not just a Jesus is Lord, I know that, I should acknowledge that, but rather this response that comes from relationship. Maybe initially it's just that we recognize that God so loved us, as you hear midway through every week, right? that he gave his only son uh, to step into the world for our sake. Maybe it starts with just a recognition, but it is born out in our response and relationship. And so, too, um, that's where we turn next. That's where Peter responds uh, back in verse 16 as we reflect on this a bit further. So Peter's response is the nail on the head. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When we hear that, we often think, well, no wonder Jesus said, Simon, son of John, uh, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Because he's acknowledged that Jesus is the Christ, the second person of the Trinity uh, that stepped into the world for our sake, all those things. We go down that road, but we forget that what Peter's saying there is not what we think of and like a, 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 an acknowledgement from a creedal confession or, or some sort of understanding of who we can explain who Jesus is, Peter's actually confessing something that's far more risky, in fact. What he's confessing is that you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. What that means is all those prophecies foretold, you're him, and I know that that means, or at least I think that means, that you've come to reestablish the temple in Jerusalem, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, reset these boundaries that we're on the northern reach of, that I'm looking in the, in the background of power right now and thinking you're going to set things right. That's what that means. And more importantly, Peter's basically saying, not only do I acknowledge that, but I'm in for it, whatever that means. If that means we've got to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, I'm in, Jesus. I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to see that come to pass. Whatever you ask of me, I'm in for that. That's Peter's initial reaction. And in many ways, he has no clue what he's in for, as we know. But his response is one that reminds us, at least initially, that our response is one that should move us 
to reorder our very lives. Peter, arguably, had already reordered his life. Um, Jesus, when he met Peter and says, drop your nets and follow me, Peter does that. He's seen Jesus' work. He's witnessed the miracles. He's heard the teachings. And so he's in. He's already in. But he doesn't know entirely what that will look like, nor do we. But as we think about our response to that question, who do you say that I am, we're reminded that with it comes not just a response, but it really comes with the sculpting and the shaping of our lives around that response. In fact, it's been noted that um, the center of your brain, which triggers identity, comes from joy. If you think about that, it makes sense. I was thinking about this this week. I thought, okay, when I had a new identity eight years ago, when I found out that part of my identity was going to include this world word called dad, it reordered my world ever since. First, our nice and tidy office went to a nursery. Our yard that we didn't use that much had all sorts of equipment in it. Then our little starter home didn't have enough rooms in it. And when we discovered we continued to live into that identity as our second was on the way, we looked for a new home. But this time, rather than looking for a home through the lens of our old identity as a married couple or our own gains or ends or proximity to work, we really looked at it around these new things. Um, schools and, and care for kids and activities that they could be involved in. Um, our whole identity was reshaped around that response. And, and then it is every weekend, even down to this day, as I was sitting in a giant warehouse that's air-conditioned air yesterday morning, in fact, for gymnastics and all of the outfits and shoes and all these wonderful things that I never knew were going to be a part of my world, including glitter, which I've learned you never can get out. And I wouldn't have it any other way. It's part of who I am. And so, too, with our response to Jesus. If we say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, then that becomes our identity in him. And as such, it reorders our life. So we don't think about the things like, how am I going to get to Bible study? But we move things around because we just want to know him more. We don't think about gee, the church is asking me to serve, but rather uh, we want to serve. Um, we want to be there. These things take time, but our lives get reordered around that identity, or at least they're called to be, depending on where that identity falls in our own minds. And all of this is landed in Jesus' response toward this end. If we turn back to verse 18. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You heard it in the Old Testament reading. This moment, this confession of Peter, his response reorders his identity. And he's the first of many to come toward that end. Just as we heard Abram became Abraham because of his identity and God calling him forth, so too Peter becomes the rock, the foundation upon which all other people who would make such a profession would find community. 
The, the foundation that was going to be laid was not a literal one in Jerusalem to reestablish the temple or to reestablish a place of power, but rather would be a foundation laid by all who confess the same and find their foundation in Christ Jesus and gather around community towards that end. And that is the reason why after Jesus gives them the authority to bind and loose, he says, don't tell anyone this, at least not yet. Because if that word got out, that the reality of the world as they knew it was going to be reordered around heaven meeting earth in Jesus Christ, Jesus would have probably never made it to the cross. I mean, it would have reordered everything right off the bat. And so it's almost held as a secret until the moment at which Jesus dies and rises again, and that kingdom is inaugurated at that moment. Jesus knew the, the power of the reality that they would understand and embrace when that came to pass. And so really kind of the, the final landing point for us is that we see dimly the world not as it will be, but we catch glimpses of the reality that is. Jesus is redeeming and renewing the world even now. And as we embrace and understand that that is coming forth every day, then what we begin to see, and the church has not done well at this, I'll be the first to say this, we spent so much time trying to peep, get people, borrowing this from a brilliant Christian philosopher by the name of Dallas Willard, um, we've uh, been, spent so much time trying to get people into eternity that we've missed getting eternity into people. We've missed that eternity comes in these moments when we embrace faith through Christ Jesus as Jessica does then it reorders our lives and we begin to see the reality of what God is doing. We catch glimpses. And so we should. And those little glimpses, even glimpses just like today, spur us on, encourage us, and sustain us to reorder our lives, just as these two friends have done, which is awesome. Um, encouraging one another, as Scarlett has, uh, Jessica, to get to this day, and then standing with her and saying, I'll be her sponsor this day. Those are awesome things. That's what that looks like. And so we're reminded that we're called to do the same, that it reorders our responses to the life that we live, um, and it gives us something to see that we cannot yet see, but we behold by faith until that day. And so today we reflect on that question, who do you say that I am? Because our response to it um, is one we must make initially, because the reality is that that day will come, that day will come when we see things as they are intended to be, when the king returns and all is set right. I pray that we are ready, that we respond accordingly, and we reshape our lives around that reality toward that end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.